The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. I am delighted today to welcome Wood Turner. Wood is the executive director of Climate Counts, which is a nonprofit that scores companies every year based on their commitment to addressing climate change in meaningful, measurable ways. Wood, welcome. Thanks for having me, Melinda. Well, I am delighted. I I love your website. It's climatecounts.org for home listeners who want to tune into this. You have 143 brands that I counted on the site that you have assessed in terms of their behavior when it comes to climate change, correct? We do. We do. Since 2007, we've been scoring companies that consumers know very, very well, interact with on a daily, weekly, monthly basis on their commitment to addressing climate change. And we do it every year, like you said, and and give them a score on a 0 to 100-point scale. Uh, We have a 22-criteria scorecard that allows us to evaluate companies from a variety of different sectors and really kind of compare apples to apples, as it it were, in terms of uh, a few major issues on climate change. Okay. I'm glad you mentioned the criteria scorecard. I'm very curious to know what the parameters are that you use to rate these companies. Yeah. So, again, we are interested not in the size of the footprint. Everybody talks about climate footprint, carbon footprint. We all know, we all know that term by now. We're not concerned about sort of giving consumers a list of the companies that have the smallest footprints in the marketplace. We're trying to draw attention to the companies, the largest companies in our in our global marketplace, multinational companies, and the efforts that they're making to reduce their impact, reduce their footprint from whatever it happens to be. So while you and I might be and, and your listeners might be strong supporters of local food, regional food, very important for a variety of reasons, our, our scorecard really takes into consideration the kinds of companies that the most people interact with on a regular basis. So so these are very big companies. So we, we look at their commitment to reducing uh, their impact, and we have four major areas of concern in our scorecard. One is are they measuring? Are, what, what, what extent ha, to what extent have they taken responsibility for their impact uh, on climate change and really done full-on inventories of their greenhouse gas emissions, begun to engage their suppliers on greenhouse gas emissions, and uh, a range of other issues related to measurement? Second, we look at reduction, and, and you know, obviously the heart of the matter here is reducing our impact on climate change. Uh, so 56 out of 100 of our points are in our reduction category, and that looks at you know, whether companies have set goals and targets that consumers can track and pay attention to and scrutinize companies against. Is there sea level or board level uh, oversight over climate change activities inside the company? Has the company actually been reporting any real reductions in greenhouse gas? Are they reporting what we call absolute reductions from their overall 
emissions to, you know, have, have they been reducing from their overall emissions or just reducing, just becoming more eco-efficient? There's a very a lot of different conversations we could have about that. We're looking at employee engagement. We're looking at a whole range of issues. We're looking at early action. We're looking at how long companies have been doing this and tracking greenhouse gas and reducing greenhouse gas. Third, we look at whether companies are engaged on public policy on climate. And this is a very important distinction in our scorecard versus other things that consumers might be able to gain about companies. Are companies uh, showing their support for comprehensive climate energy legislation? Are they raising their voices? Are they lobbying in a positive way in support of climate protection? That's a big issue for us. And then finally, as a consumer-focused organization, and you'll, you'll appreciate this, the fourth pillar of our scorecard is whether companies are being open and transparent about their climate activities with consumers and other stakeholders. And that's a big part of that's a big part of the story. We're, you know, we set out in 2007 to build a bridge between consumers and companies, a bridge, frankly, that doesn't exist, that didn't exist between consumers and companies on climate change. And we want to see companies demonstrating to consumers, showing consumers why these issues are important to them as companies and why they should be for consumers. So we're looking at that issue as well. So those are the four major pillars, and it's proven to be a very uh, effective way of evaluating climate commitment, corporate climate commitment in companies, and frankly, giving those companies over time a real roadmap for change. I think you've pulled out some very important points that are difficult oftentimes for consumers to get at. For example, you know, how are companies behaving legislatively? Who are they giving money to in campaigns? You bet. Uh, very important. Well, I really like on your website how you have, uh, you have a couple of films. You have Unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And then you have one about the climate in particular. And I really like the way you describe power of the purse and purchase power. And you give some examples, especially, for example, apartheid. You describe how people got together. They decided that behaviors that companies were doing were not good. And then we collectively use the power of our purse to make a change. I don't know that many consumers really understand how powerful they are in the marketplace. You know, we we see ourselves as individuals making individual choices, but boy, collectively, we are powerful. You better believe it. I think you're absolutely right. I think consumers think that, you know, when it comes to companies, their relationship to companies, the companies are are more important every day. And, you know, I'll make a political comment here. You know, certainly when we have Supreme Court rulings that suggest that somehow companies should be able to to give as much money to political campaigns as they possibly can without any disclosure you know we certainly have demonstrated that we that at least at the political level that companies are are more important in some ways in our democracy than we are however when it comes to the way those companies inter- interact, uh, th- th- those companies function on a day-to-day basis, they're nothing without consumers. If consumers aren't voting for them every single day, every single week when they're going to the grocery store or going to the market or going to buy- buying the things that they need for their for their lives, these companies go nowhere. And so, and, and you know, and I think it's really interesting to think about that lifelong relationship that companies expect to have with consumers over time. I mean, I, you know, I think about you know the impact, frankly, that teenagers could even have on companies. Um, you know, all these companies want to see, want to develop incredible relationships, 50-year, 60-year relationships with these, with these teenagers, and it's sometimes hard to, to, 
to get get a message across to kids who are really beginning to learn, frankly, about some of these kinds of issues and the need for social change and the need for for being an, an, an outspoken advocate for yourself and for your family and for your friends. We absolutely can can move companies and make a difference. And it's funny how few consumers it really does take to actually move companies on various issues. You know, we've done a straw poll of some of the companies that we score, and frankly, we hear over and over again if a company receives several dozen emails about an issue that matters to them, you can almost guarantee that issue is going to make it to an executive. It's going to make it to the, the CEO or it's going to make it to a top executive in the company because it's clear that there's something happening. There's an issue out there that matters enough to a, a group of consumers that they're willing to engage at that level with, with companies. And companies want to, they're reputation managers. They want to make sure if there are significant numbers of consumers who care about these issues, they want to be on the right side of the issue. So if we speak out, you know, it'll change. I agree, and I really like the way you mentioned you know, working with young people. I believe that tapping into the teenage market is so important for a number of reasons. A, you know, you, you're right, you're talking about a lifelong consumer. That's certainly why companies work so hard to get into our school systems. But yep. also, I find that young people are so much more concerned and connected to the environment. We did a survey here in Columbia, Missouri one time about kids and why they would want to walk to school. And it wasn't for reasons like, well, you know, I don't want to gain weight, which is what adults tend to think about with exercise. They wanted to walk to school because they wanted to spend time outside. And they mentioned looking at the birds and looking at the flowers and the plants. And so to tap into that, I think, is tremendous. And I wonder, is Climate Counts doing any work at all with high schools in particular? We have been doing outreach to college campuses and high schools since we since we started, and and you know we 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 do we, we love to go out and talk to high school students and college students, you know, on campuses. We we have a, a printed version of our pocket consumer guide that has all of our scores in it that we send out to schools and civic groups all the time, and we we would love to hear from any of your listeners about uh, those pocket guides. We love to send them to anybody that wants them. We also have various technology t- tools like iPhone apps and things like that that can help kids and families engage. But it's it's one of those things that's been kind of challenging for us in a way because we don't want to be out putting in place, you know, necessarily curriculum around our scores that families aren't happy to have their kids sort of learning about these issues in school. We don't we don't want to be we don't want to be creating, you know, uh, unnecessary political strife which which unfortunately is a sort of a, an occupational hazard with what we do even though we we see it as entirely non-political and should be non-political it still is one of those things that, that gets people upset for a variety of reasons but developing an effective program that really engaged high school kids is something that we work hard on but don't haven't haven't really cracked the nut yet there's lots of other groups we we're we're partners with a group called kids versus global warming they'll be having a a march a big march later this year called the i matter march that's really about high school kids really demonstrating to decision makers and parents and businesses uh, how much this particular issue matters to them. So, you know, we're partnered with great organizations like that to, to do this kind of work, and, 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 and hopefully we'll just continue to get better at it. You bring up a wonderful point, and that is bringing people to the table around climate change. How can we bust these myths? You know, you've heard them, I'm sure. Climate change doesn't exist, or, or there's nothing yep. we can do about it, not a problem. And It is a very divisive topic, but gosh, you know, when it comes to the environment, certainly we 
I think we can all come together around our children. I think we can yeah. all come together around we've got to have clean air, we've got to have clean water. Do you have any strategies in terms of bringing people from polar opposites together to the table around climate change? You know, it's one of those things that I, I get this question all the time. I wonder if the moment you start talking about this, you begin to sound like you're you're, you're <laughs> screaming and yelling, or you're you're a, a gloom and doom person. And, and we've tried to be a very optimistic organization about you know why when companies are taking 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 climate change seriously, it's good for their business. It should be good for the way they engage with consumers. It's a clear demonstration that they actually care about the long term continuity of their business, and frankly, the long term life the long-term lives and, 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 and happiness of their consumers. I, I always, you know, one of, the comp- one of the sectors that we score is the toys and children's equipment sector, and unfortunately the scores in the sector are very, very low. And uh, it always strikes me that in that particular sector, we've heard over and over again over the years, you know, lots and lots of concern from parents about, Toy safety, uh, you know, lead and cadmium in toys and whether the, you know, the parts of these toys are safe for their kids and so on and so forth. Very sort of near-term kind of acute <laughs> issues related to the products. However, those same companies haven't heard from consumers about issues like sort of the long-term livelihood, long-term health of these children that are playing with these toys over time, the kinds of issues that are going to come up with, with climate change over the next several decades. And so, you know, I, I always wonder about that. Why is it so easy for us to sort of make a near-term decision when, in fact, our you know, the, the lives of our children are going to be, the majority of the lives of our children is going to happen after, long after we're gone. And so, you know, making that kind of legacy decision to, to support, to, to put pressure on companies and support companies that are taking the issue of climate change seriously, to me, goes hand-in-hand hand with some of these sort of near-term choices. But it's a long way of not answering your question about what, what my ideas about how to engage people who are more inclined to be naysayers on this issue. It's very, very tricky. We can talk more about it. I, maybe you have some thoughts, but I, I, it's a hard one. It's a really hard one. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Wood Turner. He is the executive director of Climate Counts, which is a nonprofit that scores companies annually on their commitment to addressing climate change. And I might want to say in measurable ways, which is very important, in talking about how we bring people together over this topic, I think a lot of it has to do with the words that we choose and the semantics and the connotations that people have with different phrases or terms. And it's a struggle, I think, for anyone who wants to communicate about things that truly matter. Anyway, those are just my thoughts. But I want, yeah. to, I want to move on because we have a lot to talk about and so little time. You do have different sectors and company groups, and I, of course, focus on the food ones. Yeah. And I was surprised, to be quite honest, to see some of the companies score as high as they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to ask you more about what some of the measurable factors were that you used. So, for example, Coca-Cola got a score of 67, and that would be out of 100. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. And you've got, on the score sheet, you've got the different components broken down. Mm-hmm. When I think about companies that actually scored, I think Pepsi also scored near that. I think they got a 66. 66, yeah. Right. Yep. You know, I think, wow, or what factors are not being measured here? And I wondered yeah. about things like labor issues and mm-hmm. fair trade situations, uh, whether or not a company is using genetically modified ingredients. Those yep. really don't come into play here, though, do they? 
Right. We are. We, as we said, we're 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 concerned about the issue of climate and energy specifically, and so, and that was very by design. Early on, you know, we were we were our project was uh, emerged out of kind of the, the 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 real energy and 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 enthusiasm around these issues coming off the inconvenient truth and uh, all the all the great work that was happening in the mid you know early part of the the middle part of the last decade and and. We wanted to be focused on a single issue because, you know, frankly, there's there have been lots and lots of organizations over the years that have tried to aggregate lots and lots of information about on different issues, but haven't been able to do it in a way that was that was scorecard based, that was that was co- that provided comparable data on these issues, and and there's a lot of reasons for that. I won't go into, get into them now. But we decided that we could get a handle on this particular issue. We could begin to see what companies are doing on climate change, and really decided that if we could score companies on climate change and get consumers to care about this stuff and pay attention to this scorecard and raise their voices to these companies, it's only going to turn them into more discriminating, more discerning consumers over time who are going to ask those questions about labor and toxics and water and all these other issues that we very much want them to care about. But we wanted to use this, frankly, as a gateway issue for them to kind of begin to get focused on on being a more conscious consumer and then begin to ask more of those questions over time. So we're always thinking about how ways we might extend the scorecard to cover some of those other some of those other very, very important issues and work with a lot of other organizations on those kinds of issues. But for the purposes of our scorecard, we are looking at whether companies measure their impact on climate change, whether they re- are working to reduce it, whether they're engaged on public policy, and whether they're open with consumers and engaging with consumers actively on these issues. And there's, there are many negative things you can say about Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola, those, those kinds of companies and the food they produce and the impact they have and the impact they have on communities around the world. But they, they are in many ways the kinds of companies that are that are beginning to really understand that consumers do care about these kinds of issues and are beginning to under, are beginning to rethink how they do business. And we, you know, while many of us who are listening today, or you and I, for example, might not even seek out these pro- their, their products at all, there are many people who do. Many people who actually, when they go to their grocery stores in their local communities, have to access food that's per- per- produced by Kraft and Coca-Cola and Sara Lee and ConAgra and lots of companies that, w- that we score. And so our goal is to try to move those companies in the right direction. So we're really pleased to see what companies like Coke and Pepsi have actually done over time to really, on this particular issue itself, and that's what I can speak about, on this particular issue, really say we care about reducing our impact on climate change and are working hard to do it. And one of the, dem- one of the clearest demonstrations of that for us was the fact that both of those companies r- received an additional designation from us this year that they are among the 21 companies Companies of the companies that we just released scores for that uh, have shown support for comprehensive climate energy legislation at the federal level. So, you know, now you, you asked the question, what, what, what's not captured in the scorecard? And I think that's a really critical issue. I mean, certainly in the big scheme of things, it matters to us that companies are measuring their impact on climate change, reducing their energy use, and so on. Are they also, you know, producing or are the ingredients to their products Agricultural are they monocultures? Things like corn, you know, mm-hmm. over overloaded with things like corn and soy and sunflower and uh, the types of the types of f- food that we really shouldn't be consuming lots you know, as, as much as we might as, as much as we are. 
that's certainly the case. If we were to look at the ingredients in, the, in most of the products that these companies make, there's lots of things we'd be concerned about. And, and we'd like to see our scorecard over time extended to really look at that particular issue. It's not designed to do that now. But for us to continue to be relevant and, and to continue to raise the bar on, on, on what a true climate leader actually is, we're going to have to see companies, you know, moving away from the kinds of, uh, the kinds of food that, you know, are, are, are bad for communities, bad for people, bad for people's health. So it's something that we're very, very aware of and very cognizant about. Well, and I think it is clear that you're aware of that because some of the partnering organizations that you've selected do look at those topics. For example, one of my favorite organizations is Green America, which had previously yep. been Co-op America, yep. and they do indeed look very carefully at what companies make good choices from an investor standpoint, for example, and they look at a, a broader range. But I like that you focused on climate, and I think as long as people understand that that's where your scoring system is based, then the numbers make a little bit more sense. Well, let's let's talk about greenwashing, because it's, it's something that um, bothers me a great deal. Anytime I see a consumer being duped or taken advantage of, it, I sort of bristle at that. So one of the companies that you've given a score of a 36 to is McDonald's. Yep. And uh, McDonald's has a big presence at the American Dietetic Association meeting. As you might imagine, many of their booths are colored in green. You know, green is the color to be and wear. And I noticed that they got a score of 36. And I also noticed that one of their campaigns, and I think this is actually an international campaign. I haven't seen it in the U.S. It's called No Straw Day to protect the environment. And I wonder yeah. if you'd like to comment on that. Oh, you know, <laughs> there's so many issues, as you know, with fast food. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, where do we begin? And does a no-straw day really fully capture, does it even begin to do justice to the kinds of impacts that those kinds of companies have on our planet and on our health? Uh, you know, it, it almost seems it almost seems a little bit, it almost seems a little bit absurd in some ways. But I... I, I do think that it reflects, you know, a no straw day really reflects, I think, where the average fast food consumer might be. I mean, frankly, I think one of the reasons the scores in the sector are so low is that there's not enough consumers in the sector who raise their voices to McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's and say, hey, this is an issue that matters to me. Yes. That's what's going to move these companies to, to do something. They're not going to, uh, you know, we, we have to realize that these companies aren't simply going to do Good because it's just because it's it seems like it's the right thing to do. They have to know, frankly, and this is just the way business works. They have to know that it's going to actually benefit their business. There's very few businesses that are truly mission driven, and, and and so you know consumers have to recognize that if if they want companies to change, they can't just say do it because it's the right thing to do. They have to say do it because you're going to lose my business or do it because you're going to earn my business or whatever it happens to be. So, you know, I think that a no straw day is really consistent. I think I'm sure McDonald's did, did, did lots of market research on it to sort of try to figure it out and said, well, this would be the kind of thing that our consumer might actually find interesting. <laughs> uh, my hope would be that over time they're going to find they're going to, they're going to be the, the average McDonald's consumer is going to be interested in a lot of other things. We certainly know that it's a company that frankly, while it might not be wanting to sort of push itself outside of its comfort zone, they, we, we've, we've seen statements from them over the last few years that if, if the consumer is ready, if the consumer wants it, they'll act on it. They're going to move on it, but, they just, but, but, but it's going to take the consumer to, to be active first to sort of get that done. And that and, is, and I, 
That's right. I was just going to say, that's the beauty of having you on this radio program. It's to push consumers to make those calls. And you even have an opportunity for people. You make it so easy for consumers on your website. They can click to send a message to the companies. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's what we've we, we've had a really big impact that way because lots of all, all the companies will, will say to us over and over again, hey, we've we hear from lots of your consumers through the website, and and uh, it's it's a great way to great way to make that connection, and it's very easy. We're also trying to get consumers to tweet about companies. You know, you can send a, a direct tweet about a company, and the company's score right from our site as well, uh, which is obviously social media is an important part of this conversation too, and it, a very active and and public conversation. It's not just sort of a direct email. So when consumers can tweet about companies, it, it not only tells their friends that they care about these issues and think that climate counts. That's what. That's what. If you click on one of the tweet, the Twitter buttons on our site, it'll it populates a Twitter message for you that says, "Hey, McDonald's, I think climate counts." <laughs> mm-hmm. And so they're getting the message. Your friends are getting the message, and so on. Yeah, it's it's it, you know I th- I think that's we're beginning to have some headway with that. What are the demographics of the users of your website? Do you know that? I think early on it was more it was a younger site it was more you know it, it appealed more out of the gates in 2007 to a a college student or a 20 something over time though it's become much more popular with moms I would say 25 to 55 year old moms who are big decision makers in their families uh, big decision makers in their communities big influencers in their communities and um and we're excited to see that because certainly that has more I think moms are less a little less fickle than I think college students are a little little less distracted in some ways uh, m- you know more focused on issues that uh, might might matter to their families in the near term or the long term so I absolutely agree wood we've just got a couple of minutes left and I want to give you an opportunity to speak about something about your work that I have neglected to ask you I would say you know we we believe you know that climate counts is really a part of sort of a growing uh, truly diverse carbon nation, if you will, a nation of people who actually care about these issues and are engaged on these issues in a variety of different ways. And in fact, I, I mentioned the word car- and that, that phrase carbon nation for a reason, because we're, we're, we're actually working with the filmmakers of a new film that will be coming out this year that I encourage your listeners to look for that really looks at how different the people are around this country who, are, who really do recognize that climate action is good for business, climate action is good for families, it, it transcends politics, it transcends geography, it transcends all these other issues and and uh, I think it's you know it, it's surprising sometimes for folks to realize, just that we were talking about with Coke and Pepsi, I think it'd be surprising for folks to realize sometimes that these companies actually do care about this particular issue. They do recognize that if they're not dealing with the issue, they're going to be they're, it could be adversely affecting their business over time. So I would I would encourage your listeners to really think about that and, and recognize that and, 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 and know that there is uh, a lot of really impressive work going on out there. Well, there are a lot of websites to go to about climate and the environment, but I really hope our listeners will use this site as a one-stop shop, if you will, and it's simply www.climatecounts.org. Would I think you've brought up some terrific points during our time together and I really want to thank you for your work in this and thinking through these issues so clearly. I want to remind our consumers that when you go to the company scorecards, companies fall into one of three categories, striding, starting, or stuck, and you can really get a very good analysis of each of those companies based on different rating systems which are extremely transparent. So um, with that, I I want to thank you. uh, Thanks, Melinda. Great to be here. 
Wonderful. I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is brought to you through KOPN in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. We've been speaking with Wood Turner. He is the executive director of Climate Counts, a nonprofit that scores companies annually on their commitment to addressing climate change in meaningful and, most important, measurable ways. Wood, thank you for your time. Thanks a lot, Linda.